Well, we're in, I think, on our next to last class, right, right, right Doug? I, I'm only doing half of what was in there, so, on Kingdom, so, kind of split it down the middle. And then I'll let you, let you finish it up next week, and you and I can talk about what we want to do, but does anybody have any, anything they'd like to study, as opposed to Doug and I coming up with some harebrained idea? Let us know. Think about it. Let us know. Not looking for that feedback right now, but in two weeks we'll be teaching a new class, TBD. Probably I'm leaning towards something in the old in the New Testament, but we'll see. Yeah. 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 So that may be where we're headed. A couple more people out there. Hopefully they'll come in. But um, about four different areas to cover as far as prophecy, and we're talking about the kingdom this morning. So what was the vision of the kingdom for the Jews, the contemporary Jews at the time Christ was here? Soon they upon the old days when they had it going. Yeah, yeah. Solomon would have been a, a good one, or or David, one of the two. You know, or maybe even um, with the Maccabees when they threw the Seleucid Empire off. Okay, so it was physical. It was here. So was there anything that indicated that what the kingdom was going to be in the prophecy of the Old Testament? That's kind of what we're going to cover, as well as how those prophecies were were satisfied in. The New Testament. And Kingdom is kind of an interesting one because it's ongoing. Now, all the other prophecy we've talked about before happened and are now past. Kingdom is the only one that's current. Right? Keeps going. So let's look at the first one. Had 271, we're in the kingdom. His ascension to heaven. So this is, the, this is the entering into the kingdom, if you will. In Psalms, the mountain of Bashan is a mountain of God. The mountain of Bashan is a mountain of many peaks. Why do you look with envy, you mountains of many peaks? The mountain of God as desired as his dwelling. Indeed, the Lord will dwell there forever. What do those peaks represent? Other mountains with other peaks. It could be, well, I'll say it could be multiple, the way the kingdom changed over time, the epics of the kingdom. It could be history. It could be kingdoms, history. Lots of mountains refer to authorities, kings, things like that. And here, they said, and at the mountain that has desired his dwelling, who's that? Who did they think needed to come in order to establish the kingdom? A super David. That's not who he picked. The authorities at the time 
in Judah, because Judah was the only one, well, most Israel, but in Judah, they would have picked somebody else. They never would have picked Christ. Yeah, but once again, we're in the same situation. You know, we're looking forward to something that in the past to save us from the present. But they were looking at the wrong thing. They were looking at somebody who was going to establish an earthly kingdom. We're not looking at that, are we? Ah. Compare Trump to David. Well, that's, that's a physical thing, but that's not your spiritual. That's what I'm saying. We're it's doing the same thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah, but we've had problems with leaders all through. Man has had man, woman. We have all had problems with all the leaders we've had throughout throughout history. We, unfortunately, we don't seem to learn from it, do we? <laughs> but here in Luke, Luke is one of the one of the cases where we had, and he led him out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. So this is Christ blessing him. While he was blessing him, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. So who was, who was continually praising God in the temple? Who were these that Christ was talking to? It was the 11, right? It was the disciples. It was really the, one, the, the close inner, inner circle ones. But here is where he parts and he's carried up into heaven. How is he carried up into heaven? On a cloud. I think Paul said that. He didn't say it loud enough, but I could read his lips. And in Daniel, Daniel, this is one here, I'm going to refer to this like three times through here, but I'm looking at different parts of it as I go through. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, in the, with, the, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom, so that all the peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. What I've got highlighted there is certainly what I want to focus on. Daniel's had a night vision. What's he seen in that night vision? And don't say weird stuff. The clouds of heaven, once again, that's consistent. And the Son of Man was coming. Yeah, he saw the Son of Man ascending up into heaven. What, what did he see before he got to this one? To this peace vision? Because it's the night visions. This is the last of the visions. He had four other visions. Four, three. Three other visions. Remember the terrible creatures, like the leopard that had wings, four wings, and the bear? And finally, the terrible beast with the iron teeth? What do those represent? Remember? Earthly kingdoms. Kingdoms, yeah. They were the earthly kingdoms and the change of the kingdoms. And Daniel does that. It, it goes through the kingdoms, and then it goes through them again. And I believe it goes through them again. It goes through several times as far as the successions of earthly kingdoms that lead up to the coming of Christ. But what's different about this kingdom is this is a kingdom that's established forever. And all those other kingdoms were temporal. They were here, and they're gone. 
Babylonian kingdom doesn't exist anymore. Persian kingdom doesn't exist anymore. Per, the Greek kingdom, kingdom nor the Roman kingdom doesn't exist anymore as a kingdom. So this is out of Acts. It's, it's similar to what was in Luke. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were watching, and a cloud took him up out of their sight, very much what's, what's in Daniel. And they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going. Then behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Who were the two white men? Two men in white clothing. I almost heard one. Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah? Is that what your book says? No. Okay. I believe it was angels. It doesn't really say who it was, but normally when it's men in white, as opposed to men in black, it's, uh, that was a joke. It's a very bad one. It's probably angels. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So he's going to come back. This is talking about establishing the kingdom. When he comes back, what's he doing? When, when Christ comes back, he's going to come back on a cloud, right? Same way he went in. What's he doing? You remember? It's out of Revelation. He's going to read the faithful. The dead first and then us, if we're still alive. But when he gets done, when all that's done, what does he do with the kingdom? Gives it back to the Father. Everlasting kingdom. Got a bunch on these. And again, that's a contrast from what it's talked about is when it talks about kingdoms, it talks about earthly kingdoms, which are temporary, and then the everlasting kingdom, which will stand forever. That's like I said, I'm going to go back again into Daniel a couple times. This is out of 2 Samuel. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you and who will come after you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the, who's the you? The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Who's the you? Huh? No. No, it's a person. This is out of the same He's probably talking to David at that point. David's He's talking, talking to David. Samuel's talking to David. He's talking about that kingdom that's going to be established forever through him. Out of 2 Peter. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about the calling and the choice for you. For as long as you practice these things, you will be, never stumble. For this is the way to entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So here's where Peter's talking about the kingdom. And he's saying it's an eternal kingdom. Eternal from the standpoint until the destruction of what?
creation. When the creation is destroyed, the kingdom goes back to the Father, but it's still eternal. Right? It exists in a realm that's eternal. Did everybody have their coffee this morning? Let's go to the next one. Isaiah, chapter 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And we talked about this before in a previous class, but what I'm focusing on is, what I've, is the eternal kingdom. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the armies will accomplish this. So this is Isaiah talking about what's to come. And he, he makes the reference to the wonderful counselor. He's from the seed of David. But here Isaiah says it is an eternal kingdom. Here in Daniel, again, I'm also pulling back into the kingdom as being everlasting. Like I said, I was going to look at that several times. I kept looking in the night visions, and we already went through this. But the one I want to focus in on is, is uh, the last half to 14. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. In 27, it also adds to it in that particular one. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the emperors, empires will serve and obey him. So in Luke, again, where he's, this is the beginning of Luke. This is where the angel's talking to Mary. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have, been found, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great. And we've called the son of the most high God, most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So again, you can see where that prophecy is being brought forward again. And like I said, the kingdom is an interesting one because it's a continuing thing. We have when it began in the Bible, but it's still, it's still here. We're still part of that kingdom. Exaltation. So he's has him. Now, what did God do to Christ before he was exalted? He sent him here, right? To be born of a virgin. How did he make him when he brought him down here? Because he made him through the Spirit. How did he make him? A little lower than the angels. Remember where it says that? He made him a little lower than the angels while he was here. He made him a man. At what point did he exalt Christ? As after he was resurrected, right? He became a king. He became a prophet, a priest, and a king. So the first one, Psalm. 
What is man that you think of him, and a son of man who you, that you are concerned about him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you, have, and you, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You have him rule over the works of your hands. You have put everything under his feet. So you can see all the, he rules over everything that he did with his hands. And everything's been put under his feet. Is that exalted? Is that a king? It says you have him rule over the works of your hands. What did he do? What did Christ do? Think, think broader than the 33 years he was here on the earth. You've got the word, but you've also got creation itself. Yep, creation itself. He spoke it into existence. And I'll get to that a little bit later. In Hebrews, it talks about it here. For he did not subject the angels of the world to come, about which we are speaking. But someone has testified somewhere saying, What is man? What do you think of him? or son of man, that you are concerned about him. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have put everything in subjection under feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now, we do not see all the things subjected to him, but we do see him who has made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of his suffering Death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So you see here, he's exalted because of his suffering. The death that he served makes him the continual sacrifice that makes us clean in the Father's eyes. Sinless in the Father's eyes. That's pretty big exalting where he could do that for all man for all eternity, from when creation started to when it ends, he's done it all. In Psalm, another Psalm, Psalm 24, the Lord is, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who live in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? So this is a question as a prophecy. It's saying, who's, who's going to fill this role? This great role that, that, that's been identified that the psalmist has here. Out of Philippians, Paul's talking to uh, the people of Philippi, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant. And being born in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above all, every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the God the Father. So here you have the exalting him where everybody in creation will recognize who he is and the power he has. Short one in Isaiah. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. It's out of Ephesians. 
I pray that in the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is in the hope of his calling, which are the riches of the glory and his inheritance in the saints. And what is the boundless greatness of power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he, borrowed, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here you have where he's raised him up. That question that I had in Isaiah, the one here where he's been raised up into heavenly places. Where did somebody see him sitting at the right hand of God? Early in the church where heaven was opened up and he saw Christ sitting at the right hand of God. Was it Stephen? Stephen, okay. And what did they do when Stephen said that? Stoned him to death. But, again, that's another passage I could have pulled out of here out of, out of Ephesians, but that was in Acts, by the way. But uh, you have where he's been exalted because he's been raised to sit at the right hand of the Father over his kingdom. Isaiah, another, back, another one back in Isaiah. Therefore, I will lot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder of wrong and strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was counted with wrongdoers, yet he himself bore the sin of many, and interceded for wrongdoers. What I'm focusing on is, I will lot him a portion with the great. Out of Matthew, this is again where he's parting away. This is just before he's leaving to ascend back into heaven. And he says in the last half of 18, all authority in heaven and earth, earth has been given to me. He's been given that power with a great. Who's the other great? It's a who. The son was given power with father right at least nod <laughs> okay Daniel back to 13 and 14 like I said I was going to go to this one a lot and I'm not going to read the first part but in 14 and to him was given dominion honor and a kingdom so that all peoples nations and populations of all languages might serve him so there's a lot right in this 13 and 14 that talks about kingdom. This one here is the establishment, the exalting Colossians. When uh, Doug referred to it earlier, as far as creation and the creator, this is where it's talking about it, as far as this is a, a handy verse to go to. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And that's pretty big exalting that I can see in the kingdom. Where he, where, but in Colossians it goes into more where it says 
He's the one who created everything by him, through him, for him, visible, invisible. Everything was created by him. But it was the working of the God, if you will, the Godhead together. The Father willed it. The Son spoke it. The Spirit made it manifest. You see all three working together. Exalt and strength and anointed, just have one on this one. And this is in 1 Samuel. He watches over the feet of the godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by night shall a person prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be terrified. Against, him, against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. This is part of the song from Hannah. And note it's in 1 Samuel, very early. Who was Hannah? Anybody remember? This would be a great Jeopardy question. Is she Samuel's mom? She, she was Samuel's Samuel. mom. Okay, she was one of the two wives that was married. I don't remember what the, the, uh, the man's name was, but it sounded kind of like a similar story we had earlier. One wife had a whole bunch of kids, and the other wife was barren. Hannah was the one who was barren. Hannah was praying to God because she hadn't had a child. And, of course, the other mother, the other wife, was giving her a bad time, saying, oh, God's blessed me. You must have done something wrong. He gave her a hard time. So she, the God remembered her, remembered her prayers, and this is her prayer. And in her prayer is a prophecy that she gave where she said, and will exalt the horn of his anointed, of his anointed. What do horns represent? Horns are, kind of, horns are like mountains that represent kingdoms, typically. Kingdoms, powers, like that. So the horn of his anointed, who is anointed? Christ. Okay. So he exalts Christ. Matthew, this is the one that we've read before. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So it's the same one that, that confirms what it was given to him. But he anointed, he gave him power. He exalted him when he brought him up into heaven. Prolong his days. We're almost done. We're done early. Prolong his days, prosperous hands, and suffering. This is all together with three things because it's in like two verses. It's all kind of convoluted together. This is out of Isaiah. But the Lord despised to crush him, causing him grief. If he, him, if he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. A lot in, in chapter 53. But let's look at a couple of them. The Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. What does that mean? He's going to pay for our sins. And it's going to be painful. I mean, he was crucified. He was scourged, and then he was crucified. But what was the most crushing thing that happened to Christ during the whole thing in the crucifixion? I'm, I, I think. 
What do you think? There's one thing that happened. His what? separation from God. Yep. He said, my God, my God, where are you? That was the point where he was separated from God. He never had that. In existence, he'd never had that happen. And that happened. He will save his offspring. Who's his offspring? Would you say, Clayton? You said us. Us. You're right. We're his offering, offspring, because offering offspring. Because, because of what he did, we're children of God. We're sons and we're sons and daughters of God, right? Because of that. Prolong his days, good pleasure. What does prolong his days mean? He was only 33, right? So what does it mean? Well, we're still talking about 2,000 years later. Yeah. And 2,000 years from now, we may still be talking about him. In his kingdom that he's, he's the head of. Good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What's the good pleasure of the Lord? What do you think it could be? I'll be saved. Who said that? To have us all be saved. Yeah. The good pleasure of the Lord is that we be rejoined with him. Isn't it? That's what Marilyn says. That we become one with God again. That's the first death, right? The first death that we all experience, we're all old enough to have experienced it, is separation from God. The second death is when you die physically. But when it talks about the first death and the second death, the first death is when we're separated from God. If you think of death as separation... He took away that first death, right? That was his good pleasure. The work of his hands, what he did was to the pleasure of God to take away the first death, the spiritual death we all experience. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. Who, who's being satisfied? Father. The sacrifice is what's needed for me to forgive sins. It was a perfect sacrifice. So the first one, and the reason I, I have the three colors on here, which is the white, the gold, and the fuchsia, is so I can reference to the specific verses I'm talking about in the New Testament. The first one, in Romans. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. What's Paul saying here as far as dying to Christ, died with Christ, we also live with him. What's he talking about there? 
Okay. Eternal life. It's Romans 6. Romans 6 gets into how baptism basically works. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Right. Just as Christ was, just as we are. And, and we, we die, die with Christ. Christ. How do, we die with Christ when we decide that we're not going to live for ourselves, right? So we've died with Christ because we believe we also shall live with him. And the life there is that life you have because of him that you need because you suffered the first death, the spiritual death. And he overcomes that spiritual death because of his sacrifice. And here, he, he, like Paul, like Paul's, Paul's a real good. I wouldn't want to debate Paul, ever, because he is such a master at, at, at explaining things, look at things from all the perspectives. He died physically, but now he's comparing it to, to say, and he was separated from God, right? He had that one death, but now he's with God, and he's never going to be separated from the Father again. And if we live through him, we'll never be separated from the, God, the Father as well. Does that make sense? I had time, so I figured I'd get into this a little bit deeper. So you see that mastery of death. That mastery of death isn't so much physical death. It's the spiritual death. Because he was the perfect sacrifice. This is the gold one. Jesus spoke these things, and raising his eyes to heaven, he said, this is in chapter 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Just as you gave him authority over all mankind, so that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the work which you had given me to do. And now you, Father, glorify me together with yourself and with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. Before the world, before the creation, before anything existed. So this is in the garden, right? And he's talking about what's coming to come. He's glorified the Father while he was here. What did he continually say to the, the disciples? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because everything Christ did was a reflection of the Father. He, did the will. he didn't do any of his own will. He did the will of the Father all the way through. If you see back here in the gold, the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Here, he's going to be glorified. The things that he did when he was here including the crucifixion, following all the way through and allowing himself to be murdered was the good works of his hands. What's the prospering? What, what is he prospering in now? Isn't the good works that he had, that he did, all the things he did for the Father, now the prospering is us. Those who are populating the kingdom because of what he did, right? Those that are being brought back to fellowship with the Father because of what he did. That's the prospering. Last one. 
in John chapter 12. Now my soul has become troubled, and what, I am, what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Where does this happen? You know, when I pulled this one out, I did not remember this. I did not remember the crowd was there and God spoke to him out of heaven. And an angel, where they heard it. And some people just dismissed it off as thunder. But others said, wow. Again, that one that I'm referring to is, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. Yeah. The angel spoke to him, or the father spoke to him, we don't know. But a voice from heaven said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. That was prophesied in that little verse in Isaiah. I got three prophecies that were all, all prophesied that you can see that satisfied. So you kind of, you can see how that falls together. And the kingdom, like I said, the kingdom's kind of a, an unusual one of all those ones that we've studied because the kingdom is something that's ongoing. It's not an event that's happened that you can say point to. It's just the opening of the kingdom the establishment of him as, as the king of the kingdom, where the kingdom is, the power of the kingdom, the exalting into the kingdom is what we're talking about this morning. Does that make sense? This one was a little bit more difficult. When you, the verse you got up there, and like you say, I don't, I don't remember that party at all. I don't remember it at all. <laughs> in proximity, it's not far from, he, he raises Lazarus from the dead, and they decide immediately they've got to kill him. This guy's got to die. This is, you know, kind of God's response to what's already starting to brew. Yeah, this isn't on the. This is not on the cross. This is well in advance of being on the cross, as far as a time a time scale. But it's it is at a point where he's coming to go on the cross, and he's being troubled, and he knows he knows he's going to die. He knows it's going to be very soon. And a voice from heaven strengthens him. I think we only have one other situation with Christ where we're here that you have that voice, and that would have been when he was baptized. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But I did not remember this particular verse at all. Questions? Comments? I know Doug will talk more about it next week, but has this been worthwhile? Yeah? Did it help? Does it help your faith? See all that prophecy that was there that obviously nobody, there wasn't enough people looking at? But it was there. I mean, we're talking about 370 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament that were satisfied Mostly while he was here, during those three years, those three years in his ministry, I didn't see it.
Well, thanks for your attention, and uh, I look forward to what we do next. Doug will present the last half of the Kingdom stuff next week. <laughs>